What we wanted to do was we wanted to make sure that we knew exactly what those monies would go towards, that we had our systems and processes in place. We can prove out our business model, we can prove out our operations. That way, we could approach somebody from an investment standpoint with much more confidence, much more clarity in terms of what works, what doesn't. That way we know where their funds would go. And then also in that way, you have a little bit more leverage too when it's time to negotiate a term sheet. And so all of those things we had in mind, but we're starting to think about it now. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Austin Rowling, and Austin's the founder and CEO of Outfield. And Austin's journey is a great story of persistence and resilience, and not the least of which is that his product, those companies created around, is created and designed specifically for field sales teams. And well, his team has had to pivot a bit during COVID, and we'll get into what he's doing to prepare for what I like to call the next normal. We're also going to talk about being homeless, as Austin was, not that long before he started Outfield. I mean, that's not the typical journey for an entrepreneur. You want to make sure you listen to that, because it's, it's a very interesting story. And we're also going to dig into what Austin foresees as the future of field sales. He has some interesting ideas around that, so a lot of good stuff here today. Be sure to stick around. Before we get to Austin, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Austin, welcome to the show. Hey, I appreciate you having me. How you guys doing? Well, we're, we're doing great. I mean, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, just uh, looking forward to the weekend, uh, hoping hoping for the best out of my Texas Aggies. Um, not, I don't have uh, high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> So you did the whole cadet thing? Yeah, no, I didn't. I just went there for grad school. Oh, for grad school. Okay. All right. So that was, that was your MBA where you got that. Okay. Correct. Correct. All right. So where was your undergrad? I went to Eastern Michigan University. I studied communication there. That's Ypsilanti? Correct. How'd you know? Well, I got a world of trivia stuffed in my <laughs> Useless, no. useless information that just, once it's there, it just doesn't go away. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm happy at the fact that you got the name right. <laughs> a lot of people I come across, they can't even pronounce it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you've been sheltering here in the Houston area? Yep. I've been here since about 2009. I'm actually moved down here um, right during, um, right after the, like during the recession. Um, yeah. I was, uh, I was working for Whirlpool at the time and I actually hated uh, uh, the East Coast. They sent me to Philly, and Philly is a really, really interesting city. Um, but it wasn't for me, so I decided to come down to Houston, and uh, it's been home. It's been home ever since. Well, part of that probably weather related. It was weather related, man. But I'm a Midwestern guy. I like. Well, to, I know, uh, but enough is enough, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I you know, grew up in Wisconsin, but yeah, when I went to school in California, it's like, well, I'm not going back to Midwest. <laughs> well, well, it, was, it was partly the cold. It was partly the cold, but. Um, in Philly, the people are cold, which, I mean, that adds a totally different dynamic to it. Oh. And, uh, yeah. And so that was like, oh, I'm not a good fit. I like to smile and look people in the eyes. And uh, they don't really do that so much. Really? Yeah. yeah I never, never did. I, I've not spent a, well, I shouldn't say I never, haven't spent a ton of time in Philadelphia. Actually, I 
lived there from the time I was six months to three years old, but uh, yeah. I have no, recoll- no recollection of that. So I have no idea whether they're friendly. It might have been a few times, but all right. Well, Houston, <laughs> Houston is a great place. So a uh, question for you is, sure. so what's the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself during the pandemic? Biggest lesson is um, managing, managing your attitude, managing um, your mental health. Uh, you know, most how do you do that? Yeah, most people can relate, but the but the pandemic has been really really challenging, um, both on a personal level, but even also on a professional level. For me, it's just about uh, remaining uh, optimistic, um, trying to be innovative uh, during these times, and then you know I, I you know it's it's about waking up in the morning, challenging yourself to be the best that you could possibly be. I listen to a lot of more motivational stuff throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I work out a tremendous amount and, uh, you know, I just try to remain positive. And, and so during these times, it's actually been, um, I, I think, um, as a, as a business owner, um, I think that we may actually look back at this time and, and, and realize that this was one of the most important, uh, years for us as a company. And, uh, uh I truly believe that. So, yeah, well, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think that moments of of uh great stress as you said yeah <laughs> that uh have way of if people are deliberate as it sounds like you're being about you know a taking care of yourself but b doing the things you need to do to maintain as positive an outlook as you can i think yeah, it presents opportunities for people. The, the reason why that's important is um, as a business owner, um, your team takes cues off of you, right? And so your energy, you need to constantly monitor uh, your energy and how you project yourselves because that's going to that's gonna rub off on uh, the people that uh, you work with. And uh, during these times, more than ever, you need to have that, that optimism and, and the right energy. And uh, it's, it's really important, but I'm excited. Well, I mean, the pandemic really sort of created this whole new world for for your company because your product, entire product line is really oriented for field sales teams. So I'm just sort of curious how how your world has changed, and you know, have you had to pivot in the face of the pandemic? Yeah, we actually did, and uh, that was one of the things. Anytime I hire somebody on, um, I take them through a Steve Blank Udacity course that you can find online. But the, right. the the premise of that course is just how to think entrepreneurial, right? And I want everybody uh, on my team. Right now, we're about a team of fifteen, um, split between business fifty fifty percent business and uh, engineers, but. I mean, uh, it's important for everyone on your team to kind of think uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, because that's how you can identify um, opportunities in the midst of a pandemic. And um, yeah, we've, we've pivoted in, in a number of different ways. And I've challenged um, uh, my entire team to be creative, think outside of the box. What are some opportunities that maybe, uh, you know, um, you know, we put to the back burner in, in the past that now um, presents themselves as a as an opportunity worth pursuing. And uh, yeah, we've we've had to, to pivot, and, and we're getting ready to uh, launch uh, a new a new uh, app that I'm really really excited about. It I, I truly think it's going to be uh, disruptive uh, for uh, you know the the, the business to business sales space. Okay, well, will you be able to tell us about it? I absolutely can. Okay. Well, before you, before you do that, yeah. let's because I've, I've had guests on the show before that have 
come on and said, well, yeah, I've got this exciting new product, but unfortunately I can't tell you anything about it. And it's like, yeah. well, come on, <laughs> that, that ruins the whole surprise. All right. So we'll get back to that, sure. but tell people what Outfield does now or what you were doing when the pandemic hit, because it was really oriented towards helping you manage your field sales teams. Yeah, so um, Outfield, um, it's a web and mobile-based uh, software application, and it's designed uh, primarily for uh, organizations who compete through outside sales, uh, field marketing, field merchandising um, activities. And that's how we started. We started, um, um, you know, catering to that workflow. My background uh, was in, you know, prior to grad school and even a little bit outside of grad school was in, uh, you know, I worked in a variety of different sales positions, including uh, outside sales. And I just, you know, I knew that there was a, a sort of a workflow uh, difference that, um, that, you know, we can cater and, and build around. And, uh, you know, we sought to do that. And, and uh, we started the company in, in 2015, uh, pre-COVID. Um, you know, we registered at least uh, 150 different uh, companies um, in 70 different countries uh, around the world. And so it's, it's been quite a journey. And, you know, our biggest value proposition is just being able to offer a user experience and a user interface that really supports uh, a traveling sales rep. And likewise, sales managers, you know, you got to imagine if you got a hundred different outside sales reps working remotely around the, the country, you need a better way to be able to track and manage their activity and, and understand, um, you know, the nuances that make one market different from another. And so we, we created a platform that allows uh, companies to capture that data. Well, you're saying emphasize field marketing. So field marketing, meaning primarily those organizations that are servicing like retail stores, like uh, brands that sell to, you know, Yep. Retail? And, and, yep. And that was our very first customer. And that's how we got into business. Um, the folks who, who don't know um, our company, we started uh, in Bryan College Station, which is just north of Houston. That's where Texas A&M is. And um, the first company of ours was uh, Cellucor, which uh, they produce, manufacture nutraceutical products like uh, protein shakes and mm -hmm. food workouts, all of this different stuff that you will find in like a vitamin shop, a GNC, a Total Nutrition. Right. And at the time, this was 2015, and they generated, I want to say, um, you know, a couple hundred million dollars a year. And they had a, a number, I want to say 100 uh, outside sales reps um, around the country. And they just didn't really have a, a really good centralized way of being able to track all of that activity. How many samples were they dropping off? Uh, what were the merchandising shelves looking like? Uh, you know, uh, who did they speak with when they when they dropped into a store? And Honestly, if they actually went, because sometimes people would report that they were going right, to a store right. and they're just sitting on the couch, you know. Right. So they needed a way to be able to manage all of that activity, and we built us we built a solution for them. Right, and so it includes things like route planning. To your point yes. about people sitting on the couch, so I presume you know I plan the routes, but they can also track, as you said, whether they actually do it. Yeah, yeah, they can. We we built in a route planner. Um, it incorporates Google API system, and um, you know, it's it's really just about managing uh, your territory. You know, when I was in outside sales, um, you know, I would sometimes uh, spend you know thirty five uh, to forty percent of my week just behind the wheel. And as you know, I mean, if you the more time you spend behind the wheel, the less um, the less contacts that you actually have with customers, right? Right. And so if we can you know, create a system that streams streamlines that entire process, then, you know, over the course of a year, you should be able to drive more results. So 
what basically has happened, I mean, we can sort of guess, but I mean, what's happened with your your clients in terms of, okay, I can't send my people to the stores or the stores aren't even open. Yeah, and that's been, uh, that's been an interesting sort of thing. Um, the good news is, is that um, as, um, m- you know, different metros start to open up, we're starting to see an, an uptick in, um, you know, top line growth and utilization of the app. Mm-hmm. But, but when March and April hit, it was really, really, it was really, really a tough time for us because we didn't know what to expect. And it was one of those situations where, like you mentioned earlier, we were like, yo, our entire business model is, is built around face-to-face interactions. Right. And, and now, you know, that's being taken off the table, right? And so we just didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, a, a good, you know, business, a good uh, executive team, they, they try to build a business that um, is insulated from, from market conditions the best that they can, right? So we're, di- we're diversified in a number of different verticals, right? We're diversified across a number of different regions, uh, but, you know, this was a global pandemic. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that. Yeah. So, I mean, our entire business was impacted by this. And, and uh, you know, it, it was just one of those times where, you know, you, you really, really have to practice, um, you know, resolve and, and, and navigate through this winter. Right. It really was a winter for us. And and uh, we just had to. uh you know, stay the course and and think about different ways to influence the uh, uh, the market and and uh, how can we create um, incremental value above and beyond what we were doing at the time. For all intents and purposes, my sales team they're inside sales reps, right? And so they're actually able to use our solution uh, for inside sales. Now, granted, we're still uh, positioned in the marketplace as an outside sales tool, but you know, inside sales reps can use uh, our system. Right. In a very effective way, and so that was one of the things that we uh, that we that we shifted our, our attention to. Well, all right, let's train up our our customer base on how they can adjust themselves and and and, and uh, how how they can adapt to this new world and how they can work in office and utilize our system to be effective. Right. So, what's the new thing? <laughs> <laughs> what is the new thing? All right. So. Um, for the folks who don't know, um, the name of our company is called Outfield, right? Like you're throwing a baseball from the outfield. And uh, one of the ways that we've uh, positioned ourselves um, in, you know, um, a competitive sort of CRM marketplace is, is is one of the ways is is brand positioning, right? We've always tried to uh, um, identify our, our brand as this marriage between sports and sales. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, even from the articles that we would post, from the content that we would release, it was, you know, we tried to tell a sales story um, through, the, through the lens of, you know, some sort of sports narrative. Right. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, that, that, that was compelling. Um, and then um, later on, we said, well, how can we take this to another notch? And I'm giving you a history lesson to kind of tell you where we're going. Uh, Outfield, uh, one of the challenges that we we faced early on was, okay, our NPS scores, our net promoter scores, always ranked higher uh, for the sales manager, right, than it it would for the sales rep. The sales manager, they got a lot of everything that they needed in terms of being able to track the the activity of the reps, collecting the data that they need in order to be effective. Um, But outside sales reps, they, they kind of viewed our solution as a tracker. 
Yeah, command and control, which is, yeah. which is, which is yeah, the way reps look at CRM systems in general. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They don't, like them so, near, they don't like them nearly as much as the managers do, yes. Right, and so we wanted to uh, change how we were positioned in the minds of a sales rep because what happens is, is if a rep is, if, in, in order to create a, uh, an effective CRM, it needs to be a platform that both creates value for the manager and the sales rep. Right. If, if it's mm-hmm. one without the other, then chances are that company is going to churn out. Right. So how can we create something that uh, is viewed by the sales rep as this awesome productivity tool? Um, and, you know, in addition to creating incremental features that provide value for the rep, like, um, you know, like a route planner and just different tools that will help them manage their accounts. Well, we were like, OK, well, how can we create a platform that challenges the sales rep uh, to become better? Uh, and, 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 and challenge them to uh, maximize the utilization of the tool. And uh, what, what's one thing that we know about salespeople? They're competitive, right? They like, uh, they like being recognized for uh, being, being good, right? right, right. Uh, and so we released, this was back in um, February. Uh, we released a system within Outfield. It's called League Play which is basically a gamification system within Outfield, right? Where mm-hmm. reps get to compete with one another on a weekly, monthly cadence, and uh, they get recognized for all the awesome stuff that they're doing out in the field. Um, and in addition to being able to compete with their, uh, their, their colleagues, they're able to compete with their personal bests, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can think about what we built as almost like a, a Madden, or an NBA 2K with an outfield. And uh, Andy, when we released that program within, um, within outfield, it was a smash hit. It was a, it was a smash hit. It was the first time that we released a feature where the utilization of that feature went completely north. People were, people were loving it, right? Um, and, and they didn't view, they, for the first time, they didn't really view outfield as this tracking tool. They viewed it as a, as something that, now I'm creating a, it's a platform where I can create a personal brand for myself, right? A reputation, hmm. right? Right. And so, and so, you know, one thing about reputations is, is once you establish a reputation, you want to live up to that reputation. You have to live up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so these reps, they get scored and they get ranked based on their performance. They get scored and they get ranked based on their utilization of the app. And so now we're incentivizing people to use the solution um, the right way. Um, and if they utilize the system in the right way, then the managers are getting all the data that they need, right? Mm-hmm. And so these these reps, they are establishing this profile for themselves. We rank them um, in categories of hustle. We rank them in categories of leadership and all these different statistical categories. It's very similar to like a Madden, right? And so we were like, okay, this is awesome. People are, are really, really liking this. And they're really trying to figure out, well, how can I rank higher in this category? How can I ring higher in this category? And you're like, okay, awesome. They care about it. It's one thing to release a feature and nobody gives a crap about it. They care about their reputation now, right? Um, and so then the next thing opened up and we were like, okay, well, how can we enhance this? How can we make it better? And so um, we are in the process of releasing a new app. It's called Closers, called Closers Coffee, which is basically a new environment where uh, it's the very first league where uh, sales reps can compete with other sales reps across the globe, 
League play with an outfield, they can only compete with their colleagues. Now they can port their data from outfield over into closers, and that, now that's a completely different environment. So anybody in the outfield community they're competing against? Anybody within the outfield uh, community they're competing against. And, and remember, we have customers all across you know, the four corners of the globe, right? right. across different industry verticals. Um, and we're really, really excited about because now that opens up opportunities for these guys to really, really um, establish a personal brand for themselves, very similar to athlete. Well, and so, I mean, are companies okay with that? We're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I presume that people can't take their, their proprietary data and so on out there. But I mean, so on what basis are they competing with? other companies, other users, you know, the reps yeah. of other users around the world. Yeah, it's not proprietary data. So the actual, if I were to close a deal with ABC uh, company, that deal would uh, port over into the closers app. But my profile, my, st- my personal statistics, uh, without revealing actual details of that deal, my personal st- uh, statistics uh, would port over. It's almost like a fantasy league sort of thing where... Yeah, well, I, li- yeah. I like that idea. I mean, what's the so what's what are, what are the statistics that that are public within uh, closers coffee? Yeah, yeah. So um, within outfield right now, we, you can go into outfield, and every every user has a, um, uh, uh, a like a player card. It's very reminiscent to a baseball card. I'm mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. so people in your audience, some of them are old enough to yeah. remember that. Well, given given it's outfield, that's not surprising. It should there be a baseball card. Yeah. Right, right, right. So on the back of it, uh, we started off with um, the hustle category, right? Leadership category, and a couple of other different categories uh, like preparation. And all of these categories within each category is an algorithm, right? And there's a number of different variables within that algorithm that makes up your score. So there's so there's a macro score, a total score. Mm-hmm. And then there's individual categories like attributes and the attributes kind of like um, like uh, Google. Right. You don't really know how to rank high to give you tips and, and to rank high on Google. It's like this algorithm that right. you know features a number of different variables. We kind of took that and, um, you know, just based on what the activities that they're that they're. Uh, that they're doing within uh, outfield, we're, we're, we're ranking them in different statistical categories, and so we never reveal to our users, you know, what those variables are. We just give them clues, just similar to like Google does. And if you remember, Google refine—they're constantly refining their algorithm over time. So oh, yeah. what Constant. we want to do is we want there to eventually be the strong correlation between what that score is and, and what that sales rep actually is in real life and it'll get better over time that's what we anticipate it'll get better and more refined over time and and uh you know uh, in addition to just uh the outfield ecosystem we plan to be able to integrate with all different sorts of crms interesting that's the case well, i love the idea i mean i love this idea of of yeah is there a way that we can take all the variables you know so a rep comes from industry a and let's say he's uh, he's applying for a job in industry b Mm -hmm. and industry b says well you know you got no experience looks like you have a good track record a but you know i have no way of knowing that's relevant yeah i think i think sort of the 
the golden idea for the future is some way, it sounds like you're sort of beginning to think about it this way, is how can I create a series of statistics that sort of normalize between yeah. industries yeah. to say, yeah, this person, this person's a yeah, I'll rank on one to hundred. So this guy's this guy's a ninety. Yeah, and the ninety is relevant to you because if you you know that a ninety will be okay in your field as well. And and that's the part that I'm really really excited about. That's the part. I figure if you get enough smart people in a room, we can figure out uh, how well, to yeah. do that. Right. Uh, right. But I'm really really excited to be able to solve for that. Very interesting. Yes. Uh, initially, we're going to break things down in the way that we look at it. It's kind of like when you, when you think about the UFC and you think about the boxing world, you know, how they mm-hmm. got heavyweight, light heavyweight, they got featherweight, middleweight and all these different uh, divisions. That's how we can start it off. We can we can start this thing off by um, kind of segmenting uh, different people based on, you know, volume. You know, volume of mm-hmm. deals versus, you know, overall sales per transaction. And there, there's ways that we can dice it up initially. Right. But our end goal is to be able to normalize this in such a way that um, it can translate over uh, across different industries. It's never this is mind you, this has never been done before. No, it's not. I think it's uh, I think it's a very, very interesting idea. And I think it's something yeah. that's that's uh, long overdue. At least from my perspective. <laughs> no, hey, seriously, we, I, I think yes. this is yeah. That could become your business, by the way. It could be, yeah. That's my humble opinion. All right, yeah. so you mind if I ask you a personal question? Sure. Because you have sort of a very unique founder story. Because okay. um, just after you earned your MBA, you found yourself homeless. I did. I really so did. Tell, tell us about that. Um, after grad school, um, couldn't get a job, man. (laughs) (laughs) That sums it up. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't get a job. Um, and part of the reason why is I didn't really prime myself like some of the other students. You know, a lot of the other students during college, they did internships with, you know, these top, um, companies, you know, either in big consulting, big or, uh, high, uh, finance or oil and gas. I did my internship for free. Um, at start of Aggieland, which was an on-campus accelerator. Um, mm-hmm. I had every intentions to go to B school in order to become an entrepreneur afterwards. Um, I, you know, I just did, I did the corporate America thing. It wasn't really for me. Um, and so my experience, I tried to tailor my experience to give me as much exposure to entrepreneurship as I possibly did, as I possibly could. But the trade-off was, well, now you're not networking with some of these big companies. So after, uh, like, during the transition between like, um, you know, uh, my, my last semester in college, I started up, uh, you know, me and my uh, co-founder, we started up an organization called uh, BCS Startup, which basically the goal there was to establish this entrepreneurial ecosystem within uh, Bryan College Station that was very similar to Austin or Boulder mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, through that, we, we, uh, we met a lot of different people, obviously that concept, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, you know, people within, uh, A&M, they, they've kind of, uh, uh, improved since, since we've ended that organization, but, um, not any of that really translated to a, a career. Right. And so I, uh, you know, we 
start up all these different projects and a lot of them failed. And, you know, uh, you know, for the, we, after BCS startup, we did something called a mentor match. We coined a mentor match where we got a, you know, a little seed investment from uh, one of the uh, accelerators on, uh, in college, uh, college station. They gave us about 20, 20,000 to get that company off the ground. And again, it, it didn't really work, right? It didn't, really work for a number of different reasons. But then after that, I found myself with no options, right? And so it's like, all right, we, we went through that 20,000 pretty easily. Um, I had no, um, I had no backup plan. I had no backup plan in my mind. I thought that that was going to work and it yeah. did not. Yeah. Suddenly no home, no car. <laughs> suddenly no home, no car. When I was, uh, when I was doing that, man, a lot of things started to spin out of control. Um, my, I lost my house and my car. Yeah, wow. and I, so what? So where'd you live? Yeah, I was. Uh, well, I lived um, people's floors. I lived on people's couches. I lived uh, wherever I, wherever I could live uh, in, in order to uh, kind of catch a break. Um, and so we. Uh, and, I mean, did and, you have the vision for outfield in mind already at that point? I mean, what was what was what was keeping you going? Yeah, what was keeping me going um, after college is as as after our, our first our, after that second venture, uh, we put a nail in it. I said, okay, let me let me just do this. Let me just go get a job, right? Um, and so in that process, here I am. I'm I'm like couch surfing and floor searching, trying to find a job with big corporate America, which you know that wasn't a dream of mine. But it was all right. I'm I'm hurting right now. Uh, but it would never work out. Interviews wouldn't work. I, I could not. I couldn't get. You know, the interviews that I would get, something would happen uh, mm-hmm. where I just didn't get the job. Right? I would go through five or six interviews, and you know, they decided to go somewhere else. Go, go you know, go with somebody else, and and I just said, you know what? All right, um, let me go back to uh, the guys who invested in our, um, our our second startup and see if there were any opportunities with them and. Um, you know, uh, Manish Patel was a president at the time and Doss Cunningham, he's a CEO. Uh, and they were, uh, well, Doss is a, is a, uh, is an Aggie, but I, I developed a, uh, I, I don't know, I guess they, they, they found some sort of favor, uh, in me at the time. And they were like, okay, well, uh, here's what we do have is we got all of these outside sales reps, uh, working for our nutraceutical company and we have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, as it turns out, the company who are, who invested in in our uh, C startup, they actually ran Cellucor, and they had another problem that they needed to solve for. They knew that myself and my co-founder, we knew how to execute on building stuff. My background happened to be in outside sales, so I knew exactly what that value proposition was. So that so that amounted to about a year and a half. Like this whole transition, it was about a year and a half of couch surfing, floor searching before wow. I went back to these guys. And I said, all right, we got another concept. Help us solve this problem. And boom, right? We, you know, that's when it happened, right? And so we started building out outfield. And they were industry leader, right? And so, you know, once their competitors found out that they were using this uh, this application called outfield, you know, we were able to penetrate that vertical. If Cellucore is using this and they're one of the top dogs in, in this space, then we must you know, they must be doing something right with this right, application. Yeah. Get that, you got to get that anchor client. And then, yeah, lots of referrals. Yeah, yeah so we did that. And, and um, while I was getting that company off of the ground, I finally got a job with uh, Beats by Dre. 
Finally got a job with Beast by Dre, which was it was an outside sales position. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Imagine that. I was uh, using my app uh, for their organization. Yeah. So you're doing field marketing for. I was Beast correct. Boy. Correct. Right. And the fact that it was a remote position um, and I could kind of create my schedule with them that allowed me one to you know do both at the same time. I was building my company. Um, while working, I got to had a steady uh, flow of income coming in. So all the money that we were making uh, without field, I just reinvested back into the company. I didn't. T- I w- me and my partner, we weren't on payroll for the first two years. We just started hiring engineers. We started hiring students. But you're paying the rent by your day job, though. Yeah, I was paying the rent by my day job. I'm yeah, paying the rent yeah. by the. So it was a. It, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, and and, and I'm a, I'm a person of faith, and and I and I and I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. It really wasn't meant. It really wasn't meant for me to land a job within corporate America like that. Um, you know, because those type of positions they were going to offer me a hundred and you know fifty thousand. Uh, but then, you know, that's 60, 70 hours of my life. And, and I just knew in a situation like that, I would have never been able to work on a startup project. So the perfect opportunity came by with Beats and, and uh, that allowed me to do both. And uh, ever, ever since then, man, we've just been growing this company. And uh, this has just been a testament, man, because, um, you know, that first year and a half, it was really, really dark. There were times where I checked, <laughs> Yeah, checked. I can imagine. I was I checking mean- myself into the hospital, man, because I was having like panic attacks and Yes. And uh, yeah, it was it was really, really dark, really, really dark time. So it was rough, man. It really, really was rough. So if you were to sort of you know, summarize, if you could put in a capsule and say, you know, people, because one of the issues that we talk about in this program is mental health and sales. And, you know, it's a tough issue, especially now during the pandemic uh, in particular, but always is. is so what? Yeah, if you'd summarize, what got you through it? What was Ooh, um, a lot of a lot of quality and uplifting media? I would surround myself with. I read a lot positive thinking type books. Um, I listened to a lot of uh, motivational uh, tapes. I listened to a lot of Christian music. Anything that can keep me uplifted. I had to. I worked out a lot. I needed those mm-hmm. endorphins, right? Um, I needed to. And so when it came to managing my mental health, this isn't anything that you do one time a day. Managing your mental health is something that you do consistently throughout the day. You might need to stop throughout the day. You may need to pray or you may need to meditate, whatever you believe in. Take out a second periodically throughout the day and uh, try to just keep yourself uplifted. And if there's anybody around you that's generating negative stimuli, you kind of got to kind of got to stiff arm them. And I remember, man, when I was trying to get this company off the ground and I was couch surfing and all this other stuff, man, uh, you you get a lot of people even in your inner circle who start to like kind of doubt you a little bit. And it's like. Right. right. And so you kind of got to just push them aside and and, and you just got to focus on what you believe in. You got to focus on what you believe in just from a mental health perspective. From a mental health perspective, that's the key thing that I want to get, get across. It's not anything that you do once a day. It's not anything that you do one time a week. You don't go to a motivational seminar once a year. This is a constant practice. This is a constant practice that uh, we as a people, we, we need to undertake if we really want to maximize on our potential. Very interesting. And so just to follow sort of close loop on, on our field a little bit is that so you still basically have bootstrapped the company. Yeah. Yeah. We bootstrapped So. It. So why haven't you made that decision to say, you know, 
let's go get some external funding. Good question. Um, we uh, we we're thinking about it now. Quite honestly, we're thinking about it now. Quite honestly, um, one of the things that's important is um, for us being in, you know, in accelerators and just, you know, reading all the entrepreneurial books. And, and my co-founder, he's really astute in entrepreneurship as well. I mean, we came across a lot of horror stories, one from, mm. um, you know, bringing in somebody into your company who may not be aligned with you in terms of vision or personality. That was one thing right. that we were concerned about. Something else is as an entrepreneur, you want to make sure that you have your systems and processes together before you get a lot of money. Right. Because otherwise, I mean, we see people all the time who get a crap ton of money, two million, three, three million, four million in investment. And next thing you know, you know, two years later, they're broke again and now they're raising again. And, and next thing you know, they've diluted their, 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 their stake right. in their company to 3%. Right. right? We didn't want to do that. What we wanted to do Why was, not? yeah, yeah. What we, what we wanted to do was we wanted to make sure that we knew exactly what those monies would go towards, that we had our systems and processes in, in place. We, we can prove out our business model. We can prove out our operations. That way we could approach uh, somebody uh, from an investment standpoint with much more confidence, much more clarity in terms of what works, what doesn't. That way we know where their funds, where those funds would go. And then also in that way, you have a little bit more leverage too when it's time to negotiate a term sheet. And so all of those <laughs> things we had in mind, um, but, um, you know, now is, is we're starting to think about it now. We're starting to yeah. think about it now. Um, but that's a good question. We, you know, we've been doing this for about four or five years. Uh, we just wanted to make sure we knew what we were doing before we go out and spend somebody else's money. Well, I think there's a lot of virtue in, in bootstrapping a company. I mean, the startup that I did a number of startups and the one that, that, uh, was the biggest success by far was one that was essentially bootstrapped. Yeah. And yeah. Took it, you know, the founder and his co-founders and a good management team, you know, took it from, I was there from, we went like five to 125 and now they're multi-billion and yeah, basically bootstrapped. So yeah, it can yeah. Be done. as long as you're, what he did was so uh, wise that CEO and founder was, yeah, just wasn't going to be swayed by other people's timeframes. You know, he there had the vision and yeah, competitors were growing two, three times faster at the time. He didn't get panicked by it, just had the vision, stayed the course, and uh, all those other companies disappeared, and this well, here, one didn't. Here's the thing. Um, out of the top CRMs for outside sales, we're, we're, we're top three right now, um, but all of our competitors, they raised. So we're in a similar situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it sort of goes along with, with your story about um, – yeah, having this vision and and having faith throughout the dark times is yeah having that same vision with your company. Yeah, um, that and if you wanted to, you know, if you want to explore new business models, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes when you're attached to a VC who just wants to return in five to ten years. They want you to kind of stay the course, um, but 
I'm a I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I'm a son of an entrepreneur. I'm the grandson of of an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. and I I love thinking outside of the box. And so, I would hate for somebody to to to, to just kind of nail us down to to something because it's convenient for them. I don't know if we could if we could spin out Closers Coffee into this global sales league if we had a VC that was attached to the idea of 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 outfield alone. So that's something else you got to be mindful of. Absolutely, yeah. I like, and I do like that idea. Closers, so yeah. It, it, hey, it, either it, either this is going to be a billion dollar idea or it's going to fail. But you know what? <laughs> you know what? I could not think of any reason not to try doing this. Yeah, I, I like it. All right. <laughs> so, Austin, yes, tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. You know what? Honestly, I'm not the biggest social media guy. I'm actually kind of a private person. I know you are hard to yeah, find on social media. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on social media. Uh, my email is austin at outfieldapp.com. I'm also available on LinkedIn. I'm not on Instagram. I don't have Snap. Um, you know, I'm kind of old school. Yeah, you're even hard to find a little bit on LinkedIn, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm kind of old school like that. Um, I do have a Facebook. My 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 family won't let me delete my Facebook. They won't <laughs> let me delete it. So you can probably find me on Facebook All right. too. All right. Well, the email's good. All right, Austin. It's been yes. a pleasure, and I look forward to doing it again. Outstanding. Thank you for having me. Okay, friends. That's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support, as always, of this show, and I want to thank. My guest, Austin Rowling, for sharing his journey with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd appreciate it. You could do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>